I will actually be reading from the NIV tonight instead of the ESV. I like the cadence of it a little bit better uh, in these passages that we've been in. 2 Kings 8. Second Kings 8. The God who sees. passage tonight. Next week we're dealing with a longer section. Uh, chapter 8 verse 1 through 15. Uh, continuing our journey through 1st and 2nd Kings. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, Tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. Elisha went to Damascus, and Benadad, king of Aram, or Syria, was ill. When the king was told, The man of God has come all the way up here, he said to Hazael, take a gift with you and go to meet the man of God. Consult the Lord through him. Ask him, will I recover from this illness? Hazael went to meet Elisha, taking with him as a gift 40 camel loads of all the finest wares of Damascus. He went in and stood before him and said, Your son Benadad, king of Aram, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? Elisha answered, Go and say to him, You will certainly recover. Nevertheless, the Lord has revealed to me that he will, in fact, die. He stared at him with a fixed gaze until Hazael was embarrassed. Then the man of God began to weep. Why is my Lord weeping? asked Hazael. Because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites, he answered. You will set fire to their fortified places kill their young men with the sword, dash their little children to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. Hazael said, How could your servant, a mere dog, 
accomplish such a feat. The Lord has shown me that you will become king of Aram, answered Elisha. Then Hazael left Elisha and returned to his master. When Benadad asked, what did Elisha say to you, Hazael replied, he told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took a thick cloth, soaked it in water, spread it over the king's face so that he died. Then Hazael succeeded him as king. Remember with me what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, we can really see the truth of that at the beginning of 2 Kings 8 tonight, can't we? Uh, our lives are not a mystery to God. What we need in life is not a mystery to God. God sees and God knows. God knows exactly who we are, where we are, what we're up to. He knows all the trials that we face in life. There's no secrets with God. Now I want you to remember what we saw a couple of weeks ago. Benadad's troops told him that what he whispered in his bedroom, Elisha the prophet was able to tell the king of Israel. God knows everything. Nothing is hidden to God. But not only are there no secrets with God, but when we're in fellowship with him, there are no worries that we need to have either. I want you to see with me, first of all tonight, God disciplines God disciplines. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. God was about to bring this famine upon the land. Now it's believed that this whole incident should probably be placed a little bit earlier in the book of 2 Kings. For one thing, in verse 4, we're introduced to Gehazi, but I want you to remember he was struck with leprosy in chapter 5. And the point has been made that it would be very unlikely that he would be allowed to be back in the king's presence with leprosy unless he had been healed. So, but anyway, it's believed that the incident being described here probably happened right in between Elisha's dealings with the Shunammite woman in chapter 4 
and the healing of Naaman in chapter 5. But again, I want you to notice the circumstances, what is about to take place. There's a famine that's about to take place in the land. And since it was a localized famine, it's apparently God's judgment on the land. You remember one of the ways God said he would judge his people would be bringing famine to their land. And uh, you'll notice that the woman, the Shunammite woman, is to go to the land of the Philistines right next door along the, the coast. And this only adds to the point that God is judging his people. The Philistines were not his people. They were not under the covenant. But Israel was under the covenant. And as Deuteronomy points out, there are blessings on the land when his people obey the covenant. There are curses on the land when they disobey the covenant. And this is why Israel and Judah were going to be having the famine under the judgment of God, whereas a nation right next door was not going to be uh, under judgment. Will God send discipline and hardship on his people? Yes. Don't ever give somebody the false hope or false impression that if only they'll become a Christian, all the problems in their lives will be cleared up. It's not true. God tests us. God tries us. God disciplines us when we do wrong. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, says if you're God's child, he is going to discipline you. If you're without discipline in your life when you sin, then that's evidence that you don't really belong to God. Because just as earthly fathers discipline their children, so the Lord disciplines those who are his. And like I mentioned this past Sunday, James 1 says we go through trials. And in the midst of those trials, we need to seek God's wisdom and we need to have a teachable spirit. Jesus said we're going to be hated by the world and we're going to experience trial and tribulation in the world. We live in a fallen world. God tests his children to see if they'll obey him and God disciplines his children when they disobey. You know, God can get somebody flat on their back so they'll finally look up to him. This was obviously a famine that was sent upon the land because of their sin. You know, you stop and think about how they were. They had had king after king lead the nation into sin. It seemed like for every good king they had, they had six or seven bad kings. Uh, just when it seemed like they were about to turn a corner, maybe do a little better, uh, then they'd get another king, and this would be a bad king, and this bad king would institute idolatry in the land once again, and, and the people would follow him, and they would go into sin again, and then God's judgment... Folks, God's people better be very careful who we choose to be our leaders. Amen. Back then, and, and still in many places today, people can't choose. The choice is made for them. But today in America, we do have a voice. 
And you know, it, it's sad. It, it continues to be shown in study after study in American culture that the majority of evangelical Christians still do not vote in elections. Sometimes I look at the people running, though, the candidates running, and I'm like, can't we do better than this? We need to be careful who we choose to be our leaders. But back to our text, we see that God was obviously trying to wake them up with a famine. Folks, I, I look at America today, I see all the violence. Uh, we see the western U.S. in droughts like they've never experienced before. Ranchers were having to sell off their cattle. We see politicians making foolish decisions that are going to bankrupt our country. And the only conclusion I can come to is America is under judgment from God. And 2 Corinthians 7.14 indicates what people are to do. They're to humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and repent. And the promise is that if they would do this, God would heal the land. Second Chronicles. What, what did I say? Corinthians. Second Chronicles 7.14. Thank you. So again, first of all, God disciplines. Secondly, I want you to see God provides in verses 1 through 6 again. Uh, we see such a touching verse here. Right in the midst of God about to send famine on the land, God's prophet Elisha tells the Shunammite woman to get out and go somewhere else specifically to the Philistines. Here's a lady who has trusted God. We see that back in chapter 4 where we read that full account of her life and what happened. You know, back in chapter 4, every time Elisha would pass through town, she would take care of him and feed him. She told her husband, uh, she said, this is a man of God. We need to make him a little apartment where he can turn in uh, during his travels. So that's what they did. And every time Elisha was in the area, he stopped there, and this woman and her family took care of him. God gave her a son. The son died. God restored the son to life. And so here's a woman who has been faithful to God. She's shown compassion to God's servant. She's taken care of him. And every time God has given a word to her through Elisha, she has obeyed. She is a model of faith and obedience. And so here God is about to judge his people, and yet he gets this woman and her family out of harm's way. Now what's this show us? God's certainly able to take care of his children in the midst of hard times, isn't he? I think we could even use this story to illustrate how God's able to protect his children even in the midst of tribulation. Some people believe God's going to rapture the church out. The church will not go through the tribulation. Others believe we'll go through it, but God's able to watch over us as we go through it, just like he watched over the Israelites when he brought the plagues on the Egyptians. But either way, whether he takes us out or not, God is able to look after his people. Don't ever think that God doesn't know those who are his. You know, I think of what Paul says over in uh, 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The Lord knows those who are His. God knew this lady. God knew where she was. And God got her out of town. God led her to a place where she was going to be protected during these seven years of judgment that would come on the land through this famine. God took care of her. Now, as an illustration to show you just how much God provides and knows who are His, when she returns after seven years of famine and her land has been taken over, apparently her husband, he must be dead by now, Here's the king and Gehazi, though, talking about this very woman. And the king is wanting to hear about the miracle that Elisha did for this woman and her family. And lo and behold, here she is. God set this whole thing up. A woman going before a king back then wouldn't have a leg to stand on. The king probably would not have agreed to see her. He would have probably never rewarded her like the king does here. But God knows she's headed back to the land, and so God puts it into the heart of the king to, to want to hear about her story from Gehazi around the exact time that she gets back. And so what happens? The king rules in her favor. And notice he not only gives her her land back, but orders that the produce that it would have produced in the seven years while she's been gone will be paid back to her. Amazing provision. I think the lesson in these verses is never underestimate that God knows you. You and I may go through testing and trials and we may witness hardships in the world and sometimes we might even be tempted to throw in the towel and say, what's the use in serving God? But folks, we need to be reminded from this story that God really does know who you are if you're His. You're not going to follow God and serve Him and obey Him and then in the end, God just kicks you to the curb and forgets about you. That's not going to happen. Even when you and I don't see everything related to the guiding hand of God, His hand is still there, guiding us and watching over us and doing things behind the scenes that we might never have even dreamed possible. Well, the third thing I want you to see here, God reveals. Verses 7 to 15, God reveals. And again, these verses show us that with God, there really are no secrets. Benadad is made aware of the presence of Elisha. Now, folks, remember, Benadad has already had exposure to Elisha. Benadad has witnessed the healing of Naaman. Naaman was the commander of his, his army. Also, Benadad and his troops had Elisha surrounded and God blinded them and Elisha led them right up to Samaria, right into the hands of the kings of Israel. And when the king of Israel had asked if he was to kill them, 
Uh, Elisha said, no, feed them and send them home. So here's a pagan king, and he has witnessed what God has done through the prophet Elisha. He's witnessed God's miracles. He's witnessed Elisha being used mightily of God. And so it really comes as no surprise that when he finds out that Elisha has come to Syria, he wants to send for Elisha. He wants to hear from Elisha whether or not he's going to recover from this illness or not. Now, Elisha is in town. He's in Damascus on the other business. You'll recall from 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah said... Lord, I've had enough. God told Elijah that he was to anoint Elisha to be the next prophet, and he was also to anoint Hazael as the king of Syria. So Elisha is probably in town to simply confirm what Elijah had already said, what Elijah had already prophesied about Hazael. But Benadad has his servant, Hazel, take a large gift, go out to meet Elisha. In fact, verse 9 says, 40 camel loads. Folks, this is quite a gift. 40 camel, camel loads. And Hazel stands before Elisha and says, your son, Benadad. What's he doing? In every way possible, he's showing respect to God's man. Now look at verse 10. When he asked, will I recover from this illness? Elisha answered, go and say to him, you will certainly recover. Nevertheless, the Lord has revealed to me that he will in fact die. Verse 10 can be interpreted in a couple of ways. The ESV says, yes, he will recover, but the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. The NIV basically says the same thing. In other words, he's going to recover from this illness that he's concerned about now. But the Lord has shown me he's still going to die another way. Or the Hebrew can mean he's certainly not going to recover. The Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. The confusion has to do with a little Hebrew word that comes over into the English, L-O, love. And it's placement in the sentence and the little markings that go with Hebrew words. He could have said lo, meaning to him he will recover, or lo, with the marking at the end of the word, meaning not. Audibly to the human ear, it would have sounded alike either way. But I think the ESV and the NIV gets it right. Yes, he will recover. No, he won't. He's not being deceptive. Again, essentially he's saying, you go back and report to Benadad, yes, he is going to recover from this illness that he's going through right now, but he is still going to die another way. And that's why in verse 11, look what happens. Elisha stares at him. Hazael becomes embarrassed. He senses that God's prophet's able to look right through his soul and know the evil plans that Hazael has. Because what's Hazael going to do? He's going to murder Benadad. 
shows in verse 11 that through God, Elisha knows this. And what's Elisha do? He weeps. Why does he weep? Because Hazael is going to turn out to be such a wicked enemy of Israel for the next 40 years and is going to bring great harm to the Israelites. And that's what's discussed here in verse 12. Verse 13 confirms what an Assyrian text said about Hazael. There's a fragment of an Assyrian text that describes Hazael as a son of nobody. In other words, Hazael is not of royal lineage. We don't really know what his background was. He was a nobody who was a servant of Benadad, and he's going to end up killing his master Benadad and seizing the throne. So in verse 13, Hazael too refers to himself as a nobody. And notice in verse 14, Hazael goes back, tells Benadad the first part of Elisha's answer, you're going to recover, but he conveniently leaves off the second part of Elisha's answer because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to kill Benadad. And while Benadad is sick on his bed, he takes a thick cloth, maybe even part of the bed covering, wets it, holds him down, and smothers him to death. And he seizes the throne. So you see what a wicked man Hazael was. And yet all of this was revealed. Now folks, you would think, since he knew God has revealed this to Elisha, that he would have repented, that Hazael would have repented and turned to God. <coughs> Well, what's that show you about the human heart? The human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know? People who know God's Word. And they know what God's Word says. Yet determined in their hearts, they're not going to listen to it. And they disobey it. So lostness and evil is not just a matter of the intellect. It's a matter of the heart and the will. People know instinctively that there is a God that they'll have to give an account to, but they still continue in their sin anyway. Let me give you some lessons tonight, some takeaways. Lesson number one, God is able to take care of you. God knows you. And he knows what you face. That's the first takeaway I see in this text. The way God treated this Shunammite woman. God's able to take care of you. He knows you. He knows what you face. The second takeaway, God will discipline his people to draw them back to himself. And that's what he's doing here with this famine. He's disciplining his people. God will discipline his people to draw them back to himself. And then a third lesson. God's able to reveal even the deepest secrets of your heart. God is able to reveal even the deepest secrets 
of your heart. Now, any questions or comments you have about tonight's uh, text? Anything you picked up on that I didn't, maybe? Richard? Yeah. Uh, the sheet of my woman, uh, what I see there is, uh, I know it's there, God sees into the future, he sees there's going to be a famine. Right. And then um, later on, we see, um, we see how God took care of her, and uh, he, he restored back her property and everything, and uh, God is really watching over her. So those are two things I could relate to my own life is um, uh, that, uh, years ago I had a I had a home and uh, I lived there five years and uh, I, I, was, I thought I'd uh, lived happily ever after <laughs> that's the way it was and uh, during those five years uh, we served the Lord and my wife and I and Things were going going good, and um, about two years before the end of those five years, so in the second year in the home, I was going to this barber. Uh, two years, uh, I was going to to this barber um, five miles away. Just about uh, three years before before the end, and uh, the barber says, "Hey, if you ever." Uh, thinking of selling your home, uh, let me know. I'm thinking, who's this strange fella? That's why, why my home, I don't even know him, basically. I only went to him once or twice before. And who's this fella saying that he wants to buy, him, buy my uh, home? So anyway, uh, two or three years go by, and uh, <clears throat> we, uh, uh, we made a... I don't know if it was a big steak or anything. I don't know if it was a steak. Well, anyway, uh, we put, uh, there was a need, and we put money towards the need. And uh, three, a couple of weeks later, we got this uh, letter from the bank. The bank says, uh, you're, out, you're in default. You're losing your property and, uh, for three months. haven't paid mortgage or anything. And I said, man, what are we going to do? So we... Uh, I had a couple acres, so I said, "Well, sell. We'll get a variance and sell some of the land and pay off the pay off the debt." So we couldn't get the variance, <laughs> and we, we had the garage sale and everything else. And I said, "Man, this is bad." And one of the things uh, I want to make mention that God is very jealous of His reputation, and God is very protective of His reputation. So we were ready to be thrown out on the street, and I'm thinking. You know, what are the neighbors going to say? What are our relatives going to say? He said, they would say, oh, he's been all, all those years he's been, you know, working in the church and doing this and that. See, I've got lots of gold. And uh, God had every right to let me go because we, we maybe, you know, I don't <laughs> But anyway, uh, God had his eye on us. Uh, and suddenly God put that barber to my remembrance. And... Uh, after a couple of years, I went back to him, and I said, remember when you said you'd uh, be willing to buy my property? And he said, uh, uh, yeah. So 
he came out to the property and in the back of the property, uh, we talked it over, we agreed on the price and I said, can we, can we shake hands on the price? Can I trust you're not gonna change that price? And he says, Richie, I'm from Sicily. When I shake hands, I shake hands. So, uh, so we shook hands and uh, I, I made a profit on the, on the property, got a nice place. And, and where we, and we moved about uh, five or six miles away, and we had a much better influence uh, on, on the town and the people. And I said I couldn't have, I couldn't have made a better move if, <laughs> if I planned it that way. But God saw it. It was just just amazing how we saw that Barbara. <laughs> I don't know. You know, just amazing. You know, how we watched over. God knew what you need. God provided. You know, and it's Amen. you know, and it, the thing is, you know, if I were to exaggerate or tell a lie about what this, you know, how God worked, God won't bless me in the future. So everything I say has to be as accurate as I can remember. And years later, um, Somebody else got a variance. It was a bank robber. And uh, my property was on the front uh, cover of uh, Inquirer magazine, the magazine. <laughs> check it out mine. And it was, a, 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 it was a, a bank robber. He had the influence to get the variance. I, <laughs> you know, but anyway. <laughs> Just like this shoe-like woman, God looks after the humble. And the needy and the vulnerable. I mean, think of this lady again. How uh, she had ministered to God's prophet. Back in chapter 4. And here she's been gone seven years. Comes back. Everything. She's lost everything. God takes care of her. God looks after the humble, the vulnerable, those who are his. He provides. Somebody else. I have one thing to say. Related to Richard's story. To me, this is a picture of God's mercy and grace. Yeah. His mercy, he took the woman out of the famine just to see in his mercy he saved us yes. from our sins. But that wasn't enough for God. Yeah. He gave the woman her land, all the profit. Yeah. That's his grace. Yeah. He doesn't just save our necks just to save our necks. Yeah. He just wants to lavish us. What's Ephesians 3.20 say? More than we can Yep. God's able to do more than we could ever even imagine or think. Yep. And it's like he said, you know, I, I got a better place to live yeah. when he sold that house. You know, and there's the Shunammite woman. She's back in her house and she's got funds to right. live on funds. Like he said, her husband's probably passed away by now. Yep. A single woman would have a very difficult time. So God knew that. God provided. Yep. He does it every day in our lives. Only time and eternity will show what God has done for us, even when we didn't know He was doing it. What will be shown to us one day? We will be amazed. 